This episode is part one out of two of the Market Talks episode with Lorraine Gazingan on e-commerce in the Philippines. Check out the next episode to hear our continued discussion on e-commerce marketing in the Philippines. Welcome to the Gen Z Marketer podcast where we have marketing conversations and everything in between. In this Market Talks episode, I'm excited because I invited a former colleague to talk about the e-commerce landscape here in the Philippines. We actually used to work under the same e-commerce enabler a few years ago. So I'll let her talk about herself and her experiences. And now let's welcome Lors Gazingan to the podcast. Hi, Lors. How are you? Thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. I'm really excited to share what, you know, my work experiences are in the um, enabler side of things. And I would also like to share, you know, some stand, um, some perspectives from the customer standpoint, um, enabler standpoint, since I'm working currently as an account manager in one of the e-commerce enablers here in the Philippines. And of course, to share what I've been learning from, from working with different platforms and at the same time on the innovation side of things. So yes, thank you so much for inviting me and I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's been a while since we talked and I mean, we're with different e-commerce enablers now. We're actually doing different things now, but I think we have a lot of insights that we would be sharing in this podcast right in this episode and actually we worked together around 2018 right and 2019 so that's actually like at least three years ago now looking back and let's look back to that period real quick now while we were working at that time or what or what we were doing during that time because we were still doing marketing work for e-commerce um brands right so yeah. when you look back, or when you look back at the, that period around 2018 and 2019, what was mm-hmm. e-commerce like here in the Philippines? I believe e-commerce during that time, it still, it was booming. It was already starting to boom, you know, with the different brands going online on different marketplaces. And some of those brands, well, they're present in marketplaces like Lazada and Shopee. And some of them would, you know, want to create or build their own website so that they can have more liberty as to how they can sell their products, how they want to sell their products and um, drive more traffic to their own homegrown website. While some of those brands, you know, are very eager to join the e-commerce industry, I would say there are also some brands who were quite reluctant to bring their business online and who would still prefer to sell their products in the brick and mortar. So looking back at 2018, 2019, I guess the e-commerce back then was less, I mean, was much more chill, I would say, in terms of competition compared to, you know, now now that we have the pandemic um, affecting or impacting the different businesses, not just here in the Philippines, but of course, globally. Right, that's true. And I think if we look back also mm-hmm. to that period, um, I would agree with your sentiment that back then, it was starting to pick up. But at the same time, a lot of brands yeah. were reluctant. Because I remember before we worked together, I used to, I actually worked for a brand before who, at around 2016, they already saw the potential of e-commerce, which is why they had mm-hmm. their brand.com. 
present in some of the marketplaces here in the Philippines. And I think I remember around 2018, 2019, um, Shopee was very aggressive entering the market with all of their marketing and promotional um, uh, stunts, right? So I think looking back at it now, then versus how it is now, it's really, really different. And I like how you mentioned that, of course, because of the things has changed with how brands saw e-commerce. But if, let's say, you know, if the pandemic wasn't in the picture, where do you think or where did you think e-commerce would go if we take out the pandemic? I guess it would gradually grow as compared to how they were performing, not just the brands, but also how the platforms were performing in the 2018 to 2019 with minimal innovations. So it wouldn't be as aggressive as it is now because, you know, with the pandemic, you know, um, platforms became more aggressive in terms of their sales target, in terms of the different promotions, in terms of bringing more customers to the platform. So I would say if there wasn't the pandemic, um, I would say e-commerce would have still a lot of growth, but not as big as compared to bringing the pandemic into the picture. So, yeah, just a bit slow in terms of innovation because there's nothing pressuring or pushing them to to become more innovative aside from having competitions like um, different platforms like Lazada, Shopee, Zalora, Zilingo, Beauty M&L. Of course, these are different e-commerce marketplaces that are already present back then. But if you would observe, they weren't as, you know, they weren't as... competitive with one another but now that there's a pandemic you know they're they're gonna be super aggressive they're gonna be onboarding more brands they're gonna be onboarding more customers and making sure that they're gonna acquire new customers and retain the customer loyalty not just for the sake of the brands that they're catering to, but also for the sake of their own platform, making sure that those customers will stay within their platform and will not shift to another platform. So that's that's how I see the e-commerce landscape would be if you know there was no pandemic in the picture. Right. Yeah, I actually like how you said that the pandemic pretty much catapulted brands or forced them to all of a sudden rethink their selling strategies and suddenly enter the e-commerce space. So I think we would touch on that later on. Um, but I yeah. think, of course, before the pandemic, before of that, before all of a sudden these brands suddenly decided to enter e-commerce, what do you think were the misconceptions? Or common misconceptions that some ha- some brands had before they decided to enter e-commerce. Wow. Okay. I guess some of the misconceptions that the brand would have would be quite similar to the misconceptions that the customers also have. One of those things is, of course, the financial support or the financial support, which is also anchored in the trust, like. For example, brands would tend to, you know, um, not be sure in terms of the financial side of things. Like, what if there wouldn't be any ease of payment? Because when they sell their products online, like, how sure are they that customers would buy their products knowing that there's a huge barrier in terms of the payment gateways? Like, 
for example, customers wouldn't really buy because they're not sure if the delivery would come to their doorstep or they're not sure if the payment would go through. You know, there's still that kind of barrier or if if not trust, not a lot of Filipinos have that capacity or not not capacity, but they're not as educated enough to buy products online because for example for for those that are not millennials or the older older generation you know they they have this tendency to not buy online because they they're not that tech savvy as someone would say it so there's that barrier of of having that kind of convenience to to purchasing products online but you know on the other side of things for us millennials we're you know we're tech savvy we are eager to learn different digital platforms digital products that's why we we always tend to try those things out but of course if you're a brand and you're selling high valued products and your market are the your your market is the are those people or those professionals who are like 35 years old and above, you would think, okay, do my are my customers present online and how often would they um, purchase products online? So, so, so basically, they're like quite reluctant because they know that their customers, their target customers won't be purchasing online and would still prefer to go to the brick and mortar. Right. Actually, I agree with you on that sentiment because I also feel like with some of the brands I worked with, basically their mm-hmm. hesitation when it comes to, let's say, going big on e-commerce or investing more in e-commerce is that they feel or they see that basically e-commerce is just like a supporting source of income yeah. and they still get most of their income from their brick and mortar stores. Right. Exactly. And of course, they have invested more on their brick and mortar because we're talking about physical products here, physical goods that, you know, it would entail cost in manufacturing, in delivering them to these different brick and mortar stores that are present nationwide. Of course, their products, some of the brands, their products are not just present in, let's say, SM Marikina or SM Makati. You know, we're not only talking about those two branches, we're talking about the 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 whole sm like all of the branches of sm if not all maybe most of the sm branches that's why i understand that they're also quite hesitant in investing in e-commerce because they're already investing vast amounts of money in their brick and mortar store and that has been proven to you know become their huge driver of profit and you know they're quite uh, they're quite reluctant also because there's that learning curve that you have to go through when you sell their product when they sell their products online it's not as sometimes it's not as easy as one two three like okay i decide to sell my products online it's you know it's a whole other universe that sometimes would um entail the need to to have the presence of another third party to help them bring their business online and that's where you know e-commerce enablers come in because you know these brands don't have the in-house capacity to sell their products online as i mentioned earlier it's a whole different universe that's why e-commerce enablers come into the picture to help them you know um, manage their inventory talk 
to the customers and basically sell their products to the right market or acquire new customers because um presumably that's the expertise already of e-commerce enablers that's why we have you know the likes of Intrepid, Synergy, Great Deals, A-Commerce, and all of them are servicing different brands from various categories such as FMCG, Premium Beauty, um, Digital Goods, or Technology, right? So so I guess that's, that's also something that brands would consider before entering the e-commerce world. Right. Actually, I agree with you on that. And I think another huge contributor as to why before the pandemic, um, e-commerce is growing, but not as growing as fast as it does now is because culturally yeah. here in the Philippines, we're a quote-unquote mall culture. Meaning, I mean, yeah, right, we have exactly. all of these malls, yeah. like you mentioned SM. SM has at least 75 malls here in the Philippines. And it's yeah. like no matter where you go, there's an SM, right? So I think culturally, we're also used to basically going to the mall to buy anything we want or even just hanging out in the mall. So I think yeah. that is also, yeah. right, a huge contributor. The consumer behavior then in the Philippines was really more into brick and mortar. It's really more into the traditional way of shopping for things. It's not like in the U.S., yeah. basically, where everyone is now used to e-commerce like Amazon, you know, having a prime membership, That's you know, yeah. so I think now that we also talked about like, you know, that consumer behavior and how it was back then, yeah. and we also mentioned how the pandemic has changed things. You know, that's really the question. How has the pandemic? I mean, it's, of course, it's been a year since we, we went into lockdown. I know, I know. So, it's so sad yeah. because, you know, as a, even if, I shop online, I still miss the feeling of, you know, going to the mall, preparing myself, making sure that I look my best, even though I'm not going on a date, but just, you know, showing up and looking your best and dressing up the way you want to express yourself. You know, I miss I miss those those moments where we just go to the mall sometimes to hang out with friends or just do window shopping and just forget forget our worries for a second, you know. And because when you enter the mall, it's different there. Like when you enter a shop, you know, the music is there. It's a fusion of everything, how they place their products on the shelves and how you feel like you want to buy this product just because you feel good. And that's why the boutique is playing some nice music to make you feel good, to make you purchase their product. And of course, like when you buy clothes right in the mall you get to try them on instantly and that's something that you know you cannot really do online unless there's like a virtual try on feature but yeah just going back to my point it's really different the way we buy our products at the mall or the using the traditional manner it's really different from you know buying products online so both has both have its pros and cons, I would say. I actually like that you mentioned that behavior because I think that's a, another huge contributor as to why e-commerce was a little bit different back then. I think it's because back then here in the Philippines, it's perceived as almost kind of like a way for you to window shop. As, as like an yeah. online as an online catalog or something that basically you look at something yeah. online but you still buy it in the store because we're used to that behavior yeah. of shopping in the store because we prefer that kind of way of shopping right yeah yeah actually 
thanks for mentioning that because not just you know when we we check out different informations in online so we check of course as a consumer we would want to be a smart shopper like we want to we would want to compare the prices in of of let's say product a so is the price of product a cheaper in let's say sm or is it cheaper when i go to um trinoma something like that Chernoma is, is an Ayala mall, right? So apart from the prices, of course, going online, the consumer is, you know, I would say they became smarter nowadays because online you have vast information about the product, not just about the ingredients of the product, but also more importantly, what are the different reviews that that this product gets? Like, does it get more positive reviews? Does it get more negative reviews? And speaking of reviews, you know, online online selling, it's not it's a bit challenging, I would say, because sometimes in Lazada, you know, as a seller, you really cannot delete the negative reviews of, of customers. So I guess marketplaces have paved the way for customers to be more informed, right? So not just when we talk about the reviews, sometimes people would not just talk about the product, but how the product how the packaging of the product was um was it damaged was it not you know presentable enough for them or sometimes they would people would also talk about the different promotions that motivated them to buy this product from the seller or sometimes how the product delivery took so long or how the product delivery took really quick so so I would say, you know, there's a uh, consumers nowadays since because of the because of the pandemic, they became more informed because they rely more on the information that's present online, and not just not just that, but you know, consumers would also post different information. So I guess there's really a huge shift in behavior because not only in e-commerce but also in the information sharing like how how we would share information with one another like inform the information that we can get about a product is present in a lot of in a lot of um avenues like tiktok like youtube like instagram you know because before a customer would purchase something um they would most certainly go to these websites for them to help decide whether this product is really good or if this product has achieved or um, has some negative feedback. So there are a lot of, you know, changes in the behavior of the consumer, I would say. Right. Yeah, I actually agree with you on those sentiments. And first, now we've been really um, discussing the ha how the pandemic changed the e-commerce game or industry here in the Philippines, right? Like, I think all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. we had to shut down those malls, stop selling. All of a sudden, all the brands scramble their e-commerce strategies, yeah. right? All of a sudden, they saw the value of being in these marketplaces. So I would like to know from your perspective, because, of course, you're working in a local e-commerce enabler company. For me, I'm no longer working in the local e-commerce enabler space, right? So... What yeah. insights on maybe how that because of that pandemic, because of the lockdowns, how all mm -hmm. of a like the jump, like maybe um if you could share insights on that. Okay. So actually I look at it from different perspective. Like what I mentioned, I'm gonna be sharing 
um, my insights based from the perspective of the platform, how I see it, because I usually engage with the platform in terms of um, in terms of executing the different promos of the brands that I'm handling. So so that's that's one. So the platform's point of view. I'm also going to be sharing it from the brand's point of view because I always um, communicate with them on a daily basis. I'm also going to be sharing it from the enablers point of view. And of course, most importantly, from a customer's point of view. So first, for the platform's point of view, okay, let's start with the, um, the brand's point of view, since the brand is really, you know, the the key player in this whole e-commerce industry. So for the brand, you know, their targets became more aggressive. I would say they're they're more innovative in terms of their promotions because they really want to be more competitive compared to the way they were before like for example they know that all of their competitors or most of their competitors would be joining the marketplaces in Lazada such as Lazada and Shopee so they want to be they want to create different, um, more attractive promotions so that, you know, their online customers would still go to them and with the objective of also bringing their offline customers to, to their shop in Lazada or to their shop in shopping other marketplaces, right? So I would say they would have more aggressive targets, more competitive promotions. And because of those main objectives, of course, that would drive the different or other key players like the platform like the enabler to catch up with these objectives so for the platform you know they are more aggressive in terms of their marketing like let's say now lazada brought in an international celebrity they brought katy perry to endorse them for their lazada birthday sale right before it was it was more of the asian it was it was more focused on asian influencers like um this korean celebrity and of of course some of our beloved local celebrities right so they become they became more aggressive and not just with the marketing side of it but also on their campaigns like last year i remember we didn't have a birthday sale because of the regulatory to just sell those essentials to help um to help um, stop or or slow down the the spread of COVID. But right now, as in Lazada is really aggressive. So they have double digit campaigns. They have mega campaigns. They have Black Friday campaigns. So they have they really have different campaigns on a monthly basis for different categories. So just just to help the brands achieve their sales target and of course to service their different um customers that are present on the platform so aside from aside from the marketing side of it aside from the commercial side of it they also have this they're also banking on the shopper entertainment shopper entertainment sorry where you know they put different live streams to educate the customers to have exclusive promotions when when the customers would view their live stream some of them would give vouchers some of them would give freebies i for one was unfortunate because i haven't experienced you know winning in these in these um engagements sometimes they would also play different games to engage the customers to buy to their 
to to engage their customers to buy their products, right? Or sometimes they would ask the customer, hey, what do you guys think? Like, what's the different shades? So it's really, I would say it has been revamped um, significantly because they're, they're asking different influencers. Or even if you're not a major celebrity, you know, you can also join or you can also do your own live stream. So it gives more power or it give it empowers actually their different customers not just to be their customers but also to to become one of their micro influencers i would say so that's for the platform side and as for the enabler side i would say it has also driven more pressure for us to deliver the different um to deliver to to meet or even exceed the expectations of our brands. So as an enabler, we enable them to sell their products online and to rise above their, their, their competitors, right? So as an enabler, we help them in manage their inventory. We help them strategize, okay, which products do we sell? Do we sell um, in Lazada or in Shopee or which marketplaces should we be present? What prices would drive our customers? What products would our customers would want to buy? Or if we have new product launches, we will help them to advertise those new product launches and, you know, sell them to the different customers. Aside from that, um, we also give them different insights on the data, like at what price point do customers usually buy? And of course, the the most heavy part of becoming an enabler is is ensuring that the fulfillment of the delivery and all the orders are properly landed. So especially during mega campaigns where the sales are high, where the traffic is high, where the number of orders or the volume of orders is high, you know, the, there's a pressure also on our logistics to move fast and to make sure that they are really efficient in terms of delivering the products. Because otherwise, you know, customers would not be happy if, let's say, they receive a wrong item or if they receive a damaged item. So I would say the pandemic has drastically and significantly changed the e-commerce game, especially for the key players that I mentioned, like the platform, the, the brands, and of course, the enablers. Actually, yeah, I agree with you on that because, of course, everyone had to really scramble, had to rethink. And I think everyone has, I think, already adjusted. I mean, even the delivery partners or the VPLs also had to, you know, be, you know, be more aggressive or I mean, be more efficient in delivering packages because all of a sudden they're now the frontliners, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And sometimes, you know, just to share um, people in the neighbor side wouldn't really get much sleep because, you know, we know that we have to deliver and we know that the supply chain has to properly land all the things, all the orders to the customer. So we would work on different shifts at times. So, yeah, it's it's really challenging to be in the e-commerce. But at the same time, it's really fulfilling because, you know, in e-commerce, if you need the data, bam, in a, in a snap of a finger, you already have it. Like, you you would know how much you're selling, how much profit or income you're making on an hourly basis. Like, you would know also what your top selling products would be, what your slow-moving products are. And you would know how many people are visiting this product or how many, how many page views you're getting for your store. And 
because you have that kind of data, you're able to now optimize your store by, you know, rearranging your store to highlight different promotions or rearranging your store to highlight the slow moving products or, or basically just creating different promotions just to reach your target. And sometimes, you know, not just rearranging your, your store, you also have to think of ways how to drive traffic to your store. Because, you know, even if your store is really pretty, your prices have a lot of discounts, you can't just, you know, um, bank on organic traffic at times, especially if you're a brand who's not well-known or or who's just starting in, in the industry, right? So... I would say because of that data, you would know how much traffic you should be getting. And on the marketing side, you would know how much to spend to get to drive traffic to your different online um, channels. Actually, I like how you mentioned that we get more data when it comes to e-commerce. Yeah. That's one of the beauties of it as well. You can't get like, you know, as you mentioned, the hourly data. You can't get some of yeah. those things when you're doing brick and mortar, right? So yeah, basically, um, basically, like running an online store is also kind of like how you run an offline store. But the difference is, I think there's a lot more data to consider. There's a lot of more things to consider, right? Yeah, exactly. It has richer data. And, you know, to be honest, during campaigns, like we would have the campaign day itself. We call it D-Day, right? And then we also have the teasing period. So during the teasing period, you can already, as a seller or as a brand, you can already get the feel of how much um, GMV or how much income you would be generating come the campaign day itself, right? Because people during the teasing period would already have a visibility on what kinds of promotions you would be getting on the campaign day. That's why it's called teasing. And because of that, people would be adding to cart some of your products and you would know what types of products they have added to cart or how many units of that product they have added to cart. And when you feel like, you know, this product is about to sell out, you know, as a seller, it would be easier for you to just add more inventory to it or do your stocks forecast as well. Yeah, actually, yeah, you said a lot of the exciting parts about running an e-commerce store. Yeah, it's tiring, but yeah, it's also very, yeah, exactly. So, of course, we talked about like the marketplaces, like we mentioned them already. But I think here in the Philippines, yeah, we have several, but if we look at basically the general marketplaces, like basically our local Amazons, we have two, yeah, right? which yeah. is Lazada and Shopee. And the two have been yeah. like in a war, of course, for the past few years. So I'd like to hear yeah. your insights on who you think is winning the marketplace wars. Is it Lazada or is it Shopee? Actually, that's quite a, ooh, that's quite a tricky question yeah. because... There are aspects or there are areas where Lazada is winning and there are aspects where Shopee is winning. Okay, I would start with the customer target customer of these marketplaces. I would say, ha, um, based on experience, Lazada would target more on the customers from basically those customers who can afford the the more or the higher priced higher valued items that's why some of their best sellers or some of the categories that they are the best sellers in are um of course you have the technological 
category or the tech category where sellers are selling different mobile phones, laptops, and iPads or tablets and whatnot. And, you know, um, aside from, from those highly priced goods, we also have, of course, the premium beauty. Like this is where Mac would sell their products or this is where um, Roostans would sell their products. And in terms of... So that's that's the target market, I would say, of Lazada. In terms of Shopee, for Shopee, it's more of the mother and baby category and other FMCG categories like Abbott, like um, um, the, the diapers, and anything that's related to the mother and baby. And I would say Shopee is, for me, ha, the impression that I'm getting with Shopee is they're more Filipinized or like they're more... Um, hyper local in terms of their key key messaging in terms of how they are able to um deliver different marketing promotions to the different tar uh, different customers so that's for the target customers in terms of, from from the seller standpoint i would say that um lazada and shopee are bringing a lot of traffic but Lazada is bringing more traffic compared to Shopee, I would say, for the past few years. But there's a recent study where Shopee beat Lazada in terms of bringing traffic to their platform. Because Shopee, I would say, is getting more aggressive and it has mirrored the different efforts that Lazada is doing. Like, for example, before they didn't have the Shopee Live and because Lazada has its Laz Live or live streaming shows, Shopee was able to mirror that as well. And for Shopee, the prices are getting more competitive. Like the lower the price the, the sellers have, of course, customers would be flocking there because who doesn't want a lower price or who doesn't want discounts or different sales, right? So I would say there's a shift now um, in terms of the traffic that these marketplaces are bringing. So it's hard really to say which marketplace is winning because I would say, you know, their, their competition is really intense, you know, here in the Philippines. So I would say one is winning at, at this area and the other one is winning at this area. But you know what the good thing is as a, as a customer you know, since they, they are competing not just for the discounts, not just for the sales, they're also competing for which platform would bring in a better customer experience. So that's where, you know, the, the UI or the user experience would be coming in. Which platform would have a more seamless checkout for customers or which platform would have a more seamless customer journey in terms of navigating through their products you know, because right now, since the pandemic happened, a lot of sellers are onboarding in these platforms. And as a customer, you would sometimes get overwhelmed, like, okay, which brand should I look at? Or which which seller should I buy from? So I would say there that competition is quite healthy from a customer standpoint, because, you know, you would, as a customer, you would have a lot of options. But, you know, from the brand side, it's not smart for you to, um, I would say be present in all marketplaces. I would say it's sometimes if you're a brand who's just starting out, it's better to, not better, but if you can, you can try out these two marketplaces or you can actually 
try out one marketplace first and see if it's going to boom there. And if it is going to boom, we can expand to different marketplaces. But if you're the type of brand who wants to try out different things, you can try out Lazada and Shopee depending on what kinds of products you're selling, right? Because if you're a premium brand, you can try out Shopee, but you know that it has been proven that more of your products are being sold in Lazada. So you can try out Shopee just to you know acquire new customers, but majority of your investment as a brand would still go to Lazada. So it really depends on it really depends on the kinds of sellers, the kinds of products that they're bringing in, and the price points that they're competing at. I like how you mentioned that the target audience is different for these platforms, and I would agree with you on that. Because actually, yeah, yeah, I'd also like to share some insights um, when with regards to the war that these two platforms are having. So I'll just share first my personal experience, of course, as a customer. Um, you know, actually, yeah. yours, I haven't bought anything from Lazada for the longest time. Oh Honestly, gosh, I do, yeah. And you know why? This is because why? for the past three years, Shopee has, in a way, been integrated into my life and changed my consumption behavior and shopping behavior. I find okay. a lot more of the products that I want to buy uh, at, at you know with the value of money with reasonable prices in Shopee. Yeah. I find yeah. a lot of Instagram sellers are in Shopee and not Lazada. I find um, a lot but, but for me the whole experience really lately is more on Shopee than Lazada. And I like how you mentioned like the target audience like let's say if you're more premium, you go to Lazada, pero if you're not premium, you go to Shopee. Because I also agree somewhat yeah. in that sentiment. I feel like Lazada, yeah. lately for me, is basically where you go if you want to get the legit or or authentic brands. Yeah, that's actually the impression that they're giving. Exactly. So, and I think yeah. just to also share, um, of course, um, because of the pandemic, a lot of people had to, or some people resorted to having small online businesses. And here's something yeah, that I would yeah. share because, of course, I started my own small business. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Shopee is more mm-hmm. friendly for small online businesses than Lazada. Shopee mm-hmm. is really more yeah. easier to enter if you want to start as a seller than Lazada. Why is that? Lazada is now, I think, I feel like because Lazada, we both agree that it's more premium. And in a way, yeah. it has built more credibility already, right, for the past few years. So lately, Lazada, I have noticed, they have started to regulate their sellers. So yeah, they became more strict when it comes to new sellers and even for small online businesses. I remember I started my small online businesses. I opened accounts for both. But Lazada had a lot of requirements basically for small online businesses. You have to be more, you have to register for all the government, you know, offices and all of these data which is not not really wrong, right, Lars? I think there's nothing really wrong with regulating your um, sellers. But I think this is their move to make sure that they have legitimate sellers because yeah, they already exactly. built their credibility and they want to maintain that. Unlike yeah, for yeah. Shopee, Shopee naman, if you have your own account on Shopee, as a buyer, mm-hmm. you have your buying account. You know, you can also sell with your own account. You have to yeah. open your own shop. Unlike for Lazada, if you want to be a seller, you have to open a seller. So if you know those yeah. two different behaviors now already, right? Like basically for Shopee, anyone can sell. And it's easy yeah. to sell. Exactly. And I think that is why also like when it comes to the wars, quote unquote, 
they uh-huh. are targeting or they are getting really different customers, as you mentioned, based on these behaviors, based on these parameters. That Shopee yeah. is really more of like for the every man. And Lazada is really more credible, more premium, and all of those things. I mean, I'm not saying that Shopee is not credible, but yeah. there is also that concern, right? With Shopee, with some, um, let's say you're not a brand. Let's say you're just another seller. So there's a bit yeah. of authenticity, right? And credibility for some products or most products. So I think that's also the key difference between these two platforms, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. But, you know these two platforms are also good like to be fair to them um they're not just taking care of the customers they're also taking care of their sellers so what they what i like about both of these platforms is that okay once you get onboarded we just you know they're not like okay once you get on- onboarded as a seller you just sell your products they actually help you how to sell their how to sell your products so there's the presence of Shopee university so they Shopee university or lazada university so both of these features in in these marketplaces actually educate the sellers on how to sell their products what are the different processes that they have to do once they're inside the platform and you know apart from educating their sellers there all there's also this thing where they expand the different payment options for the customers like for lazada you can pay through installment especially if you're buying highly priced goods like a cell phone like before i wanted to buy my samsung from there and and i checked out the different payment options that i could have if i purchase this product from from lazada and i know that there are they have also been partnering up with Union Bank, not uh, for 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 the different you know in in terms of um, expanding the payment options for for the customers. But also lately, I saw this update that you know they have this um, financing partner to help loan the different sellers in in selling their products in Lazada. So it's really changing, I would say. The e-commerce in other e-commerce, uh, e-commerce um, um, has changed. changed. Actually, yeah, I like how you mentioned the um, the payment methods. I'm curious yeah. to know, Lars, yeah. because of course, before the pandemic, we both know that COD is king. COD is yeah. number one yeah. for here yeah. in the Philippines. I'm curious to know, because of yeah. course, yeah. when the pandemic started, there has been like initiatives from brands or from these platforms to re- to encourage mm-hmm. people to, as much as possible, not pay through COD so that we can prevent yeah. the spe- yeah. spread of the virus, right? Is yeah. it still yeah. like, um in your, based on your experience, is COD still number one or have online payment methods like Shopee Pay, Las Wallet or cards or mm-hmm. bank accounts, have they started to grow as well on when it comes to payment methods? Not all um have Shopee Wallet or Laz Wallet. Even, I mean, I admit I'm sometimes lazy to top up my Lazada Wallet, but it really comes in handy if, if you do that, right? I would say cash is still king. And, you know, for the other payment options, I would say there's growth in terms of the customer usage on these um non-cash payments. 
and it's easier eh? like as a customer if you know if if Lazada if the Lazada courier would message me early in the morning and I I'm I don't have time to go down and pick up my delivery and pay for it it's easier for me to still purchase something online because if let's say you cancel it Lazada and Shopee have policies on returns and refunds which what I like about about these platforms they make it easier for you to shop online talaga so i would say yeah cash is still king but there's really growth in terms of using um the other cashless um modes of payment right um of course i think it's also um the factor is also because e-wallets are also starting to pick up in the philippines and cashing in through um places like 7-eleven or even the groceries i think that's also starting to pick up which is why i think we can see a growth in online payment methods right yeah yeah actually since we're in the topic of you know um payment methods I would say sometimes Lazada would give incentives, more incentives when a consumer pays using um, using Laz wallet or let's say Shopee wallet. And I would also observe that in other platforms like Grab, if you use Grab wallet, you are entitled to different rewards like free shipping or a discount on on um, every time you check out in Grab. Actually, yeah, I agree with you on that sentiment because I also feel like these platforms, Lazada, Shopee, and you even mentioned Grab, I feel like they're also making efforts to encourage people to use online wallets because like the free shipping vouchers, you can only use them if you're using the like Grab Pay, Shopee Pay. I think that's also another huge factor that contributes to that sudden shift. Like you can't get free shipping for COD payments anymore. It's very, very limited now. Yeah, and because of this change in behavior, it has also paved a way for investors to invest more on fine, uh, sorry, on on fintech, right? So I would say e-commerce is not the only industry that's booming in this pandemic, but also fintech industry, like in the likes of um, GCash, let's say, or PayPal, you know. Right, right. So of course we talked about marketplaces now. Um. I actually have a question because for some brands, we actually have a brand.com, basically a website. Do you think that all brands should have both a website and marketplaces or should they um, just be present in marketplaces? Actually, I would say it depends on the face that the brand is at. Like, for example, um, not all brands, I would say, would, you know, have their own would be smart to have their own um it's not a smart move for them to have their own brand.com some of the brands would you know start first in the marketplaces and once they have gained enough traction that's where they can build their own brand.com and also because you know the brand is just um at the stage where they're learning about e-commerce industry they really don't have the capacity to gain traction or drive more traffic to their stores that's why it's not at that at that stage, it's not going to be smart for them to build their own brand.com. And of course, you know, when you are a seller in different marketplaces, you're subject to different rules and regulations. Like, for example, you cannot um, you cannot deliver after three days after three days after the order has been placed in your store. You have to deliver within a certain period of time. Because if you breach that SLA or if you continuously or regularly um, 
do that bad practice, it would entail some penalty points on your store. There would be times where we term it as order volume limit or pending order limit. And so basically the, the reasons behind those is when you know customers tend to cancel, maybe because delivery time is taking too long and they would just tend to cancel. So if you have like a high cancellation rate, there would be a tendency for your store or the products in your store not to be sold. So like people can just add to their wish lists, but they basically cannot check out until you have, you know, fulfilled enough orders. Right, yeah. I actually like yeah. how you mentioned that it really depends because I would agree yeah. with all the sentiments that you mentioned. I feel like... um. A brand.com, first of all, um, let's look at this at a branding perspective. Um, yeah, I think yeah. a brand.com having a website is, I think, more of a premium move. Or in a, yeah. way, in a way, I think, is basically if you have like a brand that's a little, not necessarily premium, you know, but more on, yeah. um, I think it's more of like, a, how do I say it? Like basically the consumer behavior, not everyone would gravitate to a brand.com. It's really more of a premium yeah. place. And if you have like a branding that's really a little bit premium, a little bit exclusive, or a known mm-hmm. brand, I think that's when you can enter a brand.com. So I think yeah. that's first the branding. Second, what are your products? Because I think some products mm-hmm. won't win with the brand.com strategy plus marketplace. I think there are some products that are strictly for marketplace. I think there are some products that could be for, you know, both. I think that's another yeah. factor. Like it also depends on that. And lastly, I like how you mentioned um, the fulfillment of orders because ultimately, if your brand or your business is not or does not have the capacity to fill, fulfill orders for Marketplace and Brand.com, then you really mm-hmm. have to rethink and decide which platform would be best for you. Like opening yeah. your brick and mortar, basically, because I've noticed, I'm not going to name brands, of course, but there are some <laughs> brands who are you know these big brands who have their brand.com they're present in marketplaces and they have issues with fulfillment because they're trying to do it on their own i see I right see. i mean even um some for some brands who have e-commerce enablers i think that's also the tricky part that sometimes they fail to evaluate whether they have the capacity to do all three because we yeah. mentioned earlier right um basically when you're doing e-commerce you need to build trust you need to make sure that you're fulfilling orders on time. You need to make sure you're able to deliver the product or the service you promised on time. Yeah. So if you're not able to do that, and basically if you do all of these platforms together at once, it's not going to look good for you. You're going to start to leave a bad taste on the mouth of your consumers. Yeah, and you're and you're stretching your capacity too thin. So it, I guess it really depends how much. Yeah, I agree with you actually on the capacity part. If let's say you're a big brand and you have the capacity to build your own brand.com, because trust, I mean, let's face it, you know, having a brand.com gives you more um, liberty as to what kinds of design you would want to put in your brand.com or like what kinds of key messaging would you want to put on brand.com or what are the different features that you want to put there that sometimes marketplaces are not able to address so like for example if you go for a brand.com you can easily categorize or reorganize the different products however you want it like you don't have to abide by the rules of of the other marketplaces so i guess it really depends on 
the capacity of the brand. And I agree with you, the products that you sell. Because, yeah, um, if you're a brand, you wouldn't put all of your eggs in, in, in the online platform. Like, you would just choose. Because, trust me, there are other costs that are tied up to it. Like, for example, if you're going to be putting all of your products online, yeah, it can be a good thing or a bad thing. But let's say... If, if you're delivering all your goods, let's say, to your enablers warehouse, of course, that would entail, you know, the delivery cost to it, the inventory cost, the storage cost that you have to pay your enablers because you're occupying more space, more spaces since you're delivering all products. So I would, I would say if you're going to a marketplace, you would just select some of your best sellers and, you know, you can treat the marketplace as a channel for you to um, launch a new product and you can tie that up with with your offline store like let's say if you go to your offline store you can actually get this kind of freebie or if you purchase online these are the freebies that are exclusive that you can receive if you purchase online so really it's it's it, it really depends on at the end of the day not just the capacity but also the objective of the brand because you know, for some of the big brands, their objective is to have their own brand.com. Or even more so, some of them would want to have an omni-channel. So, you know, e-commerce could pave that way for them to have this kind or, or to grab this kind of opportunity or build their, you know, omni-channel in, in the future. But, you know, it that's the, that's the long how, like that's the long-term goal. But for now... I would say they have to strategize like which marketplaces to be present in. Right. Yeah. I like I like what you said because yeah, ultimately whatever your strategy is or maybe where what your what position your brand is currently, I think you really need to evaluate all of those things first and just really think about your goals before you decide which platforms you want to go in and what yeah. you want to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. I actually yeah, agree with you on that. And this concludes part one of the Market Talks episode with Lorraine Gazingan on e-commerce in the Philippines. Check out the next episode to hear the continuation of our discussion on e-commerce marketing in the Philippines.